So, Thamid, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we will try to dissect how a shady fraud syndicate was able to steal $80 million from Bangladesh Central Bank and exposed a flaw in a payment system that moves millions of dollars every day in transactions throughout the world. Hi everyone, this is Rafi and this is Tamil. We're the hosts of the Bangladesh Experience podcast and we will have insightful conversations with business professionals, industry experts and a whole lot more. Welcome to one of the first and definitely the best podcast in Bangladesh. So, about the hack, Tamil, when did it start? I think if we recall it back, it all started in 2016 and I think I woke up on a certain day and found out through the Daily Star paper that the fact that all of a sudden our country did lose $80 million at least. And not only that, the whole heist happened without anyone actually breaching the bank. And I was like, whoa, this is... If this sort of attack happened in Bangladesh and we did not have any sort of security in that regards, how how far they can actually go? If they can take away $80 million, they might go away and you know, go away with $1 billion as well. And later we found out they actually targeted $1 billion. So Rafi, like, let's, let's, let's start with how the whole thing actually happened. Like, how it is actually pre-planned. Go ahead. Well, the whole thing started nine months ago, basically. the You know, we found out in the newspapers and TV channels in February. But everything started nine months before that. And in Philippines, out of all the countries, actually. So what happened was, there were four people and... Not four people, actually. Four accounts. So four accounts were opened in... And it's an it's called the RCBC Bank in Jupiter Street in Philippines. So five hundred dollars were deposited into this account, and that's it. No activities after that, and nothing else. So uh, nobody ever thought anything about it. And uh, so there goes that part. And one month before we found out in February. So what happened was in February. So in January, one of the bank employees they did receive an email, right? Exactly. So that email. So what happened? What's special about that email is they got an infected. This was basically an infected email, and uh, an employee, without knowing, they downloaded a malware. In the computer system and since you are the IT expert here go ahead and tell us a bit about the malware so yeah what basically happened there was uh, the infiltrators they used Dredex uh, malware which is pretty common in terms of you know like breaching bank securities throughout the world and this same malware I think it was used through like you know like for many other world-renowned cyber heist which included the Sony cyber heist I assume that you've heard about that as well. Definitely. And so how the so how the malware works basically is, let's say you know sometimes you get some shady email right through spam folders and stuff, and it sends you a single Microsoft Word document in Microsoft Word macros, uh-huh. and if if someone uh, willingly or non willingly open that Word document, then through that email attachment or through that Word document. 
by the users by the users of macros they trigger and launch the Redux application through your computer without you even knowing about it so the employee of the bangladeshi bank who opened that word account supposedly he had no idea the fact that he actually installed the Redux malware into the bank bangladeshi bank computer which later infected the device and most probably exposed the Bangladeshi bank to that bank theft, as you said in January. He had no idea that just by clicking on an email, he's going to change the entire course of the country, not of the world. Yeah, of course, because uh, not many people will realize that. But as a country, for us, I think $80 million is, is a huge deal, right? Yep. And so, so as you said, you know, like the whole thing happened at least a month earlier of the actual attack in February. So basically that means before the actual attack happened, they had more or less a month to plan the whole thing. And later when we are going to discuss about the whole timeline, we will find out that like the way they planned the whole things out, it probably took months, if not years, their whole plan. Yeah. So what happened was the they got infected in January. So the hackers had, like you said, one month to observe how the Bangladesh work, the inner workings of it, and to collect login credentials and whatnot. So the actual event happened in February when we found out in the newspapers. So on the day of the incident, uh, just like any other day, the director of the Bangladesh Central Bank, he went to the office, but then he found out about a certain problem that has been dawning on the office for a few days. And that happens in every office now and then, which is a printer problem. Now, this might not seem like a big deal at first, but in Bangladesh Bank, when there's a printer problem, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, because because of the 24 hours window, exactly. And I think I don't think it's, it's like any other office because, you know, like uh, there were a certain rule the fact that within the printer will always print out every single transaction in last 24 hours. And what, what was unusual about that specific printer was there were no single shit in that printer when they came out at Sunday. So that basically means there were no transactions in last 24 hours, which is also unusual, right? Yeah, because this printer is always hooked up to the bank software and it works around the clock 24-7 and it prints out banks' transaction in real time. So when you see that there is nothing printed out, so it's very unusual, that doesn't really happen in a central bank ever. Exactly. So when they finally fix the printer problem, what do they find out? They find out a huge backlog starting to come out. And then when they inspected it closer and they found out 35 suspicious payments to be exact and they were a huge amount of money and they were sent from Bangladesh Bank to New York and the instruction they were sent through SWIFT and the instruction was to send it to various other countries in Asia. So what happened after that, Tamith? So out of those 35 transactions, we'll talk about it later, you know, how much they actually uh, got away with. But after that, Bangladesh Central Bank realized this, as you say, actually on Saturday, the fact that those, you know, the swift messages had stopped. So what happened is they sent requests asking for payments to be stopped at that point. Because when they found out that there were 35 transactions and out of nowhere it started printing uh, those 35, you know, like payment orders, they of course found out something was wrong. 
So they tried to contact the New York Fed, but in that specific day, it was the weekend for, you know, like for USA, for New York. So the messages that the Bangladeshi Bank was trying to send, it was not, you know, it was not deemed as urgent. So actually, the messages that the Bangladeshi Bank sent, the New York Fed Bank, they found it, they found out, at I think in Monday, in Monday, exactly. So once again, the whole thing shows that how much pre-planned, how much pre-planned and how much effort the, the whole thing was, you know, like given, given to. Sort of like the fictional stories of money heist, isn't it? Exactly. But just, just, you know, like just without the actual, you know, actual guns and stuff, without anyone. Entrance. Without actual entrance, exactly. Right. So getting back to the day of the incident now, when they were in the system, finally, but, you know, being in the system was the easy part as they had infected the system beforehand and they had the login credentials. So they pretended to be an employee of the Bangladesh Bank and logged in with their credentials and they were in the system. But manipulating international money transfer was an entirely entirely different ballgame because a lot of safety net are put in place so that things like these don't happen. And about SWIFT, SWIFT is the global standard for international transactions and they use military-grade design to be unbreachable. Yeah, yeah. Also, another another factor is that SWIFT does not actually facilitate fund transfers. They're basically a third party here, right? Exactly. So, like, basically, Bangladesh, when when the hackers were trying to send the money, Mm -hmm. SWIFT was not sending the money. What they were doing is they were basically sending the payment orders. Exactly. You know, those 35 payment orders... Right. Which was settled by the correspondent accounts. And this is standard practice in international banking. And and I don't think SWIFT had in any blame in it, like, you know, later Bangladesh Bank. Not at all. Exactly. Because SWIFT did not know that who was trying to communicate here. Exactly. They had no idea that the fact that Bangladeshi Bank was infiltrated here. And we could not assume SWIFT to know this because the hackers, they logged in with Bangladesh Bank's employees' credentials. So I don't think SWIFT can know for example if your facebook uh, if someone else has your credentials and if they log in facebook has no idea if you logged in or someone else because it's your credentials so i don't think it's fair to blame swift either in this scenario spot on yeah so when they finally logged in 35 phony request transfers were sent totaling to 951 million and they were sent via SWIFT to Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And if you're wondering why New York, it's because Bangladesh Bank actually has an account there with billions of dollars as deposits meant for international settlements. So the details of requests sent from Bangladesh were to transfer the funds from New York to various accounts uh, set up across Asia. And Friday, New York processed the request and they had no reason to suspect initially because... Of course, because they were coming through SWIFT, exactly. Exactly, and everybody in the international community trusts uh, trust SWIFT. Uh, so after the weekend, when the Bangladesh Bank employees were trying to fix the glitch of the printer, and oh, and the funny story is, it, it later turned out that it wasn't really a glitch. Uh, the hackers had... Addition had taken additional steps to crash the printer because they knew that this would add to their valuable time they need to get in and out of the system. 
Yep. So it all if you if you see the timeline, it all started from you know targeting Bangladeshi weekends. Yep. And then the you know New York weekends, and later we will find out what happened with Philippines as well. So they had this four or five days timeline, right? Yeah. Four or five days window to do everything at once. On the face, it looks like that they just had the credentials and just got up uh, from bed one day and just logged in with the credentials, but. Actually, they had set up that specific Thursday set up from way more, many, many months ago, if not from years. So yeah, the very, very well planned, if I must say. And see, like if you see the like the way the printer was faulted, you know, it was exactly on Saturday. Yeah. And so when they were trying to send them the messages, it was already weekend on New York. So so uh, what happened was out of the. 35 so Bangladesh got really lucky at this point what happened was out of the 35 transfers 30 of the transactions they got flagged in New York and why did they get they got flagged for a manual review should should I tell them the reason oh definitely you go ahead they got they got flagged for you know like Jupiter saved us you know the Greek gods and stuff but not really so out of those 35 like 30 of them were blocked Mm -hmm. and it's just a sheer fortunate event for Bangladesh, I think, because right. thirty of them were blocked because of an Iran, Iran, in, Iran sanctions against a world tanker company, which also had the name Jupiter. So NYC Fed Bank thought it had something to do with that Jupiter, but all it was basically the hackers they named their accounts like Jupiter, which had nothing to do with the actual well company. So Bangladesh got a huge lucky break on that specific on that for that specific reason, the New York Bank blocked thirty of the payment orders, which approximately you know which is approximately close to eight hundred and fifty one million dollars. So they flagged for review until you know what happened later, Rafi. What happened to the rest five? Oh. I'm coming to that, but let me just tell what happened to these 30 transactions. So these 30 transactions, they got flagged. And uh, because of that, it got blacklisted. And the hackers basically got left out of $870 million worth of transactions. And this was a devastating blow towards them. And now coming to the five remaining transactions. One of them went to Sri Lanka in a company called the Sri, uh, what's it called? The Shalika Foundation. So it went through the Deutsche Bank and it's a small NGO. So in Sri Lanka, an observant employee of the Panasia Bank, they noticed that $20 million was a huge amount of money for a small NGO. And that too, for a country like Sri Lanka, which itself is a developing country. So they sent the order back to Deutsche Bank and then Germany was then manually reviewing the payment, just like New York. And then that got blocked. So another blow to the hackers. They, they couldn't. And and something very interesting. The it later the employee found spelling was spelled as foundation. So I think we can you know uh, the takeaway from here is that maybe they weren't the hackers were not natively English or they just made a spelling mistake. We have no idea what it was. Now Tamit, the remaining eighty one million dollars. Go ahead. Well, yeah, the remaining $81 million were sent to a Philippine bank, which is named as the Rizal Commercial Banking Corporation, uh, like the RCBC Bank. But here's the catch. You know, this, as you say, the observant Sri Lankan employee, even if you even if you are not observant, it's pretty, it's pretty evident when someone is sending 
81 million dollars to your bank and without any warning and without any and to four accounts which only had 500 dollars each so it's definitely suspicious but what is more surprising is the employee the rcbc bank employee who had received those orders she literally took minutes to pass them along and like turned into you know it's like she accepted it within minutes which is which which is also you know like total not only it's like it not only it's like total violation of the philippines law the fact that she acted in blinding speed to launder the money out of the bank that's very eyebrow raising isn't it exactly and i think she needs to be you know she needs to be investigated further i think that's where the key is otherwise otherwise if you're a bank i'm not a banker you're not a banker as well but i think for a general human being like us i think it's pretty suspicious when someone sends you 80 million dollars to four different accounts all of them had only 500 dollars not only that you know as you say the 500 dollars were like 9 months earlier so more or less it's dormant so how do you explain that exactly the dormant accounts the manual review should have definitely be done been done here and maybe if it was then we would have caught those but yeah very unfortunate indeed maybe unfortunate or preplanned in like in the in that case in a heist like this i don't think there's anything called a coincidence everything is just preplanned to the dot so what happened here was uh, something interesting also happened the bangladesh bank also sent the stop orders everywhere so the stop order was not received in the philippines on the expected monday here because what happened is by sheer coincidence quotation marks monday was chinese new year which is a national holiday for the country and just like we said before this was you see the pattern here friday saturday sunday monday right exactly four holidays and that doesn't really happen on calendars uh, four holidays in a row so th- they definitely did their research so do you think like all these three countries all these three countries you know like bangladesh us so they specifically used philippine just for monday right what do you think Oh yeah, they they literally just uh, chose Philippines for the Monday, the Chinese New Year holiday. They just chose a country which has that holiday. That's the only reason. I cannot think of any other reason. I think there might be one another reason because you know the. I think in Philippines, money laundering was in that specific time. It was easier. The fact that you know, like they laundered the money out of the bank through that employee into the gambling industry within minutes, right? So I think that that might be another reason like why they chose Philippines. So, you know, like uh, will you tell them the story about, you know, how they laundered the how they actually laundered the money. So basically, uh because the stop order was not received on time, they quickly withdrew all the money and they just laundered it through casinos in Macau. And we all know that Macau is uh, you know, very famous for all these the laundering scene and the casinos. It's the, it's like this. and uh, when actually we calculated in revenues, Macau is actually bigger than Las Vegas in the casino scene. I'm sure many of you listening might not have assumed that before that before listening, but yeah, Macau is actually bigger than Las Vegas when you calculate by revenue. So that's interesting. Uh, so they they the people that the Chinese uh the uh, and the you know the bank account the bank accounts in Philippine two Chinese men were responsible for setting it up. 
But unfortunately, Bangladeshi authorities could not apprehend them because uh, they also left to Macau and it was impossible to track them there. And then finally, the hackers, I guess, got away with $81 million. Yep, that's the sad part. And even more unfortunate is like, you know, the, when the attack happened, nearly just a year before that, Bangladesh, the governor of the Bangladesh Bank, he had foreseen, you know, cybersecurity vulnerabilities. And the fact that, you know, someone would open an email like that, a spam email. So what he tried, what he tried was he hired an American cybersecurity firm to bolster the firewall or like, you know, network and overall cybersecurity of the bank in 2015. But just, you know, just as always, you know, it happens with Bangladesh. Due to bureaucratic hurdles, the security firm could not even join and it could not start its operations in Bangladesh. Unfortunate. Finally, they started their operations you know, when that after the cyber heist, like when we we did actually, you know, lose eighty million dollars after that. So that's the whole chronological uh, chronological story of how the hackers got away with the money. But now let's focus on the group for a bit. So they, the group was called Lazarus, and when the attack was analyzed later and similarities were found in the techniques and tools between this heist and many other cyber attacks on financial institutions around the world. So we know that this wasn't the only gig that they did and they were internationally renowned for this. They were notorious for this. And an interesting thing an experts also uncovered while they researched this. That is, they found an IP address connecting Lazarus to North Korea and also Korean language was found in the computer code. What are your thoughts on that? It can either be, a, you know, the whole thing can be a setup, you know, to set North Korea up here because everyone assumes that, you know, U.S., the, the general public enemy of U.S. is North Korea. So... It can either be a setup, they purposefully did that. Otherwise, you know, like a group like that, you know, they're that expert in terms of hacking. They're literally targeting a central bank of a country. Why would they leave codes in North Korean language, right? Yeah. But then again, it's the the code that was found. It was only in one single document. So most probably, you know, they, they, were, they were just not, you know, like careful enough. That one of the one of the sing, one of the single file was slipped in their actual language. So one second, we're it's a guessing game. But if you look at all the reports, uh, all the all the hotshot cybersecurity companies in US, all of them they're pretty certain that it actually indeed came from North Korea. So most probably your assumption is right here. Yeah, if you ask me, I think it's from North Korea as well because uh, uh, we've gone through the hotshots, like you said, their reports and everything. And, uh, well, the conclusions they come up to is because Lazarus, they target a lot of the enemies of uh, North Korea's... uh, So they targeted a lot of South Korean institutions. And, uh, for example, when the movie came out, I think it was called The Interview, which was uh, which portrayed um, Kim Jong-un in a manner that North Korea did, did not like. So uh, Lazarus went on to threaten many companies and countries. All the theaters in the U.S. Yep. Exactly. So uh, why would a random hacker group, they would threaten uh, movie theaters in USA if they were not linked to North Korea? So I think when you, you know, uh, see all the strings and everything, it's 
I am also pretty certain that North Korea was behind this. But uh, I don't know why would they do that. Is it because they're poor and they just want some money? We never know for certain. Yeah, that's. But I don't think I don't think they're going to spend the money on their poor people. You know, it's, it's pretty much Kim Jong Un, and you know, like. Well, yeah. Like if if they actually stole the money, they spent on you know the hierarchies. Not necessarily on the poor people. This is just for lining up the pockets of the elites of that country because uh, North Korea is not known to spend money on their poor, actually. So yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to the current Bangladesh Bank scenario. Like, what do you think? Did Bangladesh Central Bank actually manage to recoup any of the eighty-one million dollars? So what happened to the eighty-one million is the Bangladesh after getting this top order from Bangladesh Bank and the Bangladeshi authorities, uh, the Philippines government they managed to actually track down fifteen million in casinos and the Bangladesh Bank, so they could recover fifteen million, and more or less they lost what somewhat around sixty-five million, and Philippines actually they did a great job and they also you know improved their laws on money laundering and such after. The incident. So, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? That what lessons did? Yeah, well, yeah. Not only that, the Philippines, the Philippines has also filed twelve cases against the RCBC Bank. You know, so I think their their government is pretty active here. Definitely, because uh, not only they tried to, you know, not only they tried to stop the hack, uh, the the perpetrators who tried to run away with the eighty one million dollars. They also took active steps to change their laws. They literally changed their money laundering laws, which was way easier before after the heist. So, let's get back to the current Bangladeshi scenario here. Um, do, did you know that you know there was another cyber attack on Bangladesh, another Bangladeshi bank? Yeah, there was a Shonali bank attack in uh, 2013. Shonali bank, exactly. Yeah. So, but the amount was way. Of course, it's not like the amount is not small, but if you compare it to like eighty million dollars, it's way smaller. Yeah. The amount on that specific instance was around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. And in both of the cases, the local media, you know, like believed to have the fact that you know it had been aided by insiders inside the targeted banks. That's what the perception of our local media is, and who who helped literally to exploit the vulnerabilities. Well, the local media in Bangladesh, they certainly like to spice up everything because, you know, uh, spice sells. That's why it gets more clicks on their website and it gets more buys on the newspaper. So they love to spice up everything. But it's not really that absurd to think that someone was aided. But, you know, we won't get into politics in this episode. We're just going to talk about this story. So basically what happened is, you know... um, uh, after that specific event, what Bangladesh is trying to do, but what Bangladesh Bank is trying to do is, they're trying to you know handle the international payments on certain days with the assistance of another foreign bank, which which is of course you know like uh, incurring extra costs. So basically, what what is happening here is uh, since 2017, SWIFT and the New York Bank and the BWIT, like a very famous university in Bangladesh. They established a Bangladesh Bank permanent payment instruction program, which literally helps the program to be more stable. And they're not, you know, especially SWIFT, they're not transacting with Bangladeshi Bank five days a week now. They're literally using two specific, two specific days a week, down from originally four days. 
So of course, you know, preventive measures have been taken from uh, from 2016 compared to now. That's the bright side that uh, like I love that our country learned a lesson and the authorities they're taking better steps now so that uh, we like something like this doesn't happen in the future. It's very it's a welcome change, I think. Yeah, and by the end of 2017, uh, the central bank also, you know, they finally did purchase the necessary software and hardware yeah. to get the program up and running. And about time. Yep. So, and they have they have not been yet been activated as Swift officials continue to hold back their visit to Bangladesh, fearing that they will face legal charges in the hacking because. They're, they're, they're thinking that a Bangladesh bank might charge them with $80 million. But, and there was also a hacking case which was filed with the Department of Criminal Investigation in Bangladesh. So that's the reason they were not, you know, they were not intending to come to Bangladesh. So literally no SWIFT official had visited Bangladesh until December 2019. You know, because of course, the fearing they were fearing that they could face legal action in the hacking case, which was filed with you know like the Department of Criminal Investigation in Bangladesh, uh, CID basically. But finally, the government of Bangladesh they promised the law agencies and to the SWIFT that they would not face any sort of trouble or any sort of questioning. And after the after their convincement, they like they finally came at on around 19 December last year. And they finally did meet with the Bangladesh Bank governor in Dhaka. And this was very unfortunate that SWIFT had to go through this. Because like we mentioned earlier, it wasn't really SWIFT's fault. They did everything that they had to. Uh, every, like This in no way was SWIFT's fault that they got uh, infected. I think everyone is more or less culpable here because... Um, it's just, it was pretty much evident, you know, like if you see the other events, the developing countries were never, were never, they were never able to withstand this sort of attack anyway. We never had any sort of training, you know, before activating a software like Swift, you need to give, give our employees sufficient training to deal with them, right? You need to tell them like you are not, you should not, you are not allowed to open emails which look suspicious. Yeah, but this is kind of a very basic training, isn't it? And someone for someone who works at a, an institution like Bangladesh Bank, they should have been well aware of that. Like, let's not even mention a hack or a heist like this. Everyone just should be aware when they're not just in Bangladesh Bank, on any government institutions, that they shouldn't open malware emails and spam emails and things like that. Yeah, you're spot on. But despite that, you know, like now... In collaboration with uh, CIRT, which is basically Computer Incident Response Team, which is a national body under the ICT ministry, we had to open a Computer Incident Response Team, okay, CIRT for that. And we did finally, you know, uh, we finally started to track the activities of each and every Bangladesh bank computer. And, you know, like we, uh, we the CIRT through CIRT, now they report monthly to the central bank that if, what's happening in each and every single computer in each and every single Bangladeshi bank machine. And this reports any suspicious activity. And as you said earlier, like any sort of person with basic training should be able to realize which sort of email you know, is spam and which was not spam. But still, I think all 4,000 Bangladesh Bank officials were finally given IT and cybersecurity security training in 2018. 
But my question is, why we had to do all that after the events? You know, like it's all too late. If you're dealing, if you're dealing with literally the hub of of the financial activities of a country, the central hub, the central bank of a country, you should have been more careful in terms of dealing with what's happening with your missions and what's happening with your employees. Are they actually prepared enough to deal with this sort of atrocities? So I think I think the lackings, it's all across the globe. I mean, you cannot blame anyone particularly. And then again, you cannot say like everyone is perfect in their job. So uh, I think this, the whole thing happened after the whole thing happened. It was a wake up call, but at the expense of Bangladesh, at the expense of us. That's the unfortunate event here. Now, if, now like Bangladesh, now India and all the other countries, they're trying to, you know, implement more security measures after seeing what happened with Bangladesh. Yeah, because of this incident, the whole world is now way more cautious about things like these. So, so basically, that's that's what the current scenario is. And um, I think if you've heard, like in 2019 February, Bangladesh Bank also filed a case in United States District Court against RCBC Bank. You know, and others, including several top executives, for their involvement in a massive and multi-year conspiracy to steal Bangladesh's money. Well, that's a bit, you know, out of. I mean, that I don't think that's going to be successful. That's just Bangladesh loves to do this sort of weird cases where uh, there's the, and the court heard the statements from both Bangladesh and Philippines Bank, but. I don't think they have still decided whether to accept the case or not. I don't think they will, though, because uh, from the looks of everything, the report so far from lots of reputed uh, firms and everything, it doesn't look like the banks themselves were involved. Maybe the employees, like that specific uh, lady from Philippines, right? Maybe a few employees like those who they look suspicious. But, you know, you can't just um, sue a bank for that. I guess we being law students, like we being law graduates, we know better. So, so basically, what do you think? Um, whether you know, like any sort of you know, similar sort of events might happen in future with Bangladesh? What's your take on that? Or like, what well, what do you think? Whether are we prepared to deal with this sort of attack? My take on it is, we will never be fully prepared because you know, technology it's always bleeding edge. It it's so rapid. So it's not like we'll just, uh, you know, uh, adopt the latest and greatest 2020 softwares and such security softwares and we'll be secured. Not like that. We have to keep updating every moment. As technology improves, we have to adapt and update regularly and maintain the current security norms that happens internationally. And that's how we'll be safe from these sort of attacks. Not by just upgrading once and then forgetting about it because these events are not happening and then upgrading again when something like this happens. That's not how it's done. It's done, you know, this is something like investing in security and insurance. You only know the value of this when something bad happens. But you don't know, like when everything's going right, you know that it's doing the job. That's my take on it. You've said it beautifully, my friend. Yep, spot on. And I think this really goes to show that like nobody not a single country or even the private banks nobody can afford to sit just sit back what we did you know like we should have we should have seen the shomali bank incident as the wake up call but what what this whole event entail is 
that nobody can afford to just sit back and wait to become a victim of cyber fraud. And actually, it's very easy not just not to recognize those weaknesses and threats. As you say, technology is evolving all the time. And so it's not easy to recognize those weaknesses and threats until you yourself have actually become the victim or become hit by something like that. Right, Rafi? Like which which us which us Bangladeshi realized after we you know like we did actually get hit by we did actually get hit by our taxpayers' money and a huge chunk of that. So I think what what the other countries or like what the listeners the listeners maybe are from they they're maybe from different countries like what they can actually learn from this is just not to sit back and they have to take precautionary measures. so that the unfortunate event does not happen to them it's always you know it's always prevention is better than cure the the, the same same saying goes here exactly so that's going to be it for today and i hope everybody learned something new and i'm going to be writing an article on this it's going to be up on our website feel free to read that i guarantee you you'll be learning something you'll be learning about the whole incident in a proper chronologically beautiful written way and damit if you have to say anything i don't have anything else to say but hopefully we'll talk about money laundering and how the whole you know like how swift actually works with going because we did not go into any technical details in that specific episode but hopefully we'll make another episode on how the whole banking system works not only the digital counterpart of it we'll talk about how money laundering works as well so that's that's pretty much it from us today great hope you guys had a great time bye bye you've made it till the end of the episodes thank you very much for listening and we hope you learned something new If you want to be a guest on the show, go to our website and you will find a be our guest page where all the details are given. And if you have any suggestions, leave them at the contact form on the website. Peace.